This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So, I really believe that this message is a message that God's put on my heart for tonight. Um, When I write messages, I don't write them just based on what I feel like. I spend time in prayer and ask the Lord what words He would like for me to speak to His people. And He knows all things, and He's in all things, And so let's trust him tonight to speak into our hearts. So God's message tonight is titled, Choose One. And we're going to see through the word of God how he's called us to live a life of integrity. See, the definition of integrity is being whole or undivided, doing the right thing even when nobody is watching. And so I know that in my own life, as I've been studying this, God has convicted me He wants to take all of us to higher places in our integrity with him and our honesty. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, 17, it says, I know, my God, that you examine our hearts and you rejoice when you find integrity there. And Psalm 101, 7 is kind of the opposite of that. It says, liars will not stay in my presence. And so we see this stark contrast. Either our hearts are full of integrity And the Lord rejoices over the integrity in our hearts. Or on the other hand, lies come out of our mouths and we're not able to stay in God's presence. And we're going to see through the word of God why that is. Um, I'm going to take you through a lot of scriptures today. So I really encourage you to write these down, to go back and meditate on them later. Uh, I've got, like I said, several scriptures that I know that the Lord's wanting to put into our hearts. But sometimes when we get a lot of the word all at once, it's hard to digest it all. So write them down. Meditate on it later and keep those on your hearts. So each of us must search our own hearts and ask the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says is the revealer of truth, if there's any area where we lack integrity. Say, Holy Spirit, is there any area where I'm not as honest as you would call me to be? Is there any area, even if I'm not aware, that I'm not full of the integrity of God? And so I've got these questions, and I want you to write these down. These are questions we can ask ourselves to kind of gauge ourselves. Are we walking in integrity? First one, am I the same person no matter where I am, who I'm with, or what I'm doing? Now, obviously, you're going to act a little bit differently around your family than you will around your boss. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do you come to church and you say, I'm going to keep my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking lies. And then at work, you cuss like a sailor. You see, are we the same person no matter who we're with? Or are those different people groups where we know we don't have as much integrity when we're around them? Second question. If I say that I'm going to do something, do I do it? So this is big with our kids, those of us that have kids. But really it applies everywhere. Uh, See, I grew up with a father that took this to the extreme. And so he never told me that he would do anything unless he was sure he would do it. Um, So I heard this a lot. We'll see. Dad, can we go to the park later? We'll see. And he did it out of a heart that I'm not going to lie to my son. If I'm not for sure that we can go to the park later, then I'm not going to say yes. I'll tell him we'll see or we'll try. Okay? Third question. Is every word that comes out of my mouth the truth? This is the, probably the, the area that the Lord deals with me on. 
um, do I embellish stories. Sometimes I'm telling a story, and I want it to sound just a little bit better, so you add that extra little detail that didn't really happen, but it kind of did. Um, but I'm going to call us today to do what God's told us to do, and when we embellish a story, is that the truth? Do we exaggerate the truth? Maybe you're one that tells little bitty white lies because you're embarrassed about a story and you don't want to tell the truth about it, or, you, or maybe you're covering up a mistake that you made. Fourth question. Do I treat others' things, others' time, others' money, others' resources, possessions, as if they were my own? And this could mean a lot of things. Some of us um, have work credit cards, and you're able to spend someone else's money on their behalf. Do you treat their money the same way that you would treat your money? Um, what about when you borrow something? When you borrow something from somebody, do you treat that thing as if it were your own? Or do you, I don't have to take good care of this because I'm just going to give it back to them when I'm done with it anyways. What about time at work? So um, some of us are hourly employees, and when you're an hourly employee, you're paid per hour. And I've had lots of jobs in my life. In one of my jobs, I worked for a gentleman in the church, and I was repairing houses that had been, the people had been evicted from um, on the east side of town. And so our job was to get there at 8 and to start, you know, we would drive to the house that needed to be repaired, and we would do the work that needed to be done. But the boss didn't come until 9. And so every single morning at 8 o'clock, I would get there on time, and all of the other guys would go to 7-Eleven in the company truck and get some coffee, and they would uh, get a snack, and then they would come back to the office, drink their coffee, and, and kind of chat, sit in a circle and talk. And then right before the boss came at 9, we would get on the road and start working. Now, I, I knew that that was wrong. I knew that if my boss was paying me money to be there from 8 to 9, then I needed to be working from 8 to 9. But to this day, I regret this. I didn't stand up, and I didn't say, guys, we really don't need to be doing this. We really should start working at 8. And I went to 7-Eleven with them every morning, and, and I drank coffee with them every morning, and I started working at 9 when I was paid to start at 8. You see, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. None of us are perfect, but are there areas where you don't show integrity? Okay? So I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 39. And when you turn to Genesis 39, put a marker there, and then turn to Luke 16. We'll be in Luke 16 first. The first choice that we're going to make tonight is God rewards integrity, but he detests dishonesty. And that word detest is such a strong word, but it's said over and over and over in the Bible about this one area, dishonesty. So while you're turning to uh, Genesis 39 and Luke 16, Psalm 41, 12 says, But you have upheld me because of my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. See, when I'm full of integrity, God not only upholds me, but he sets me in his presence. But remember Psalm 101, 7, it said liars cannot stay in his presence. You can't have it both ways. And I don't know about you, but I need the presence of God in my life. So Luke 16, I told you to turn there and I forgot to. Luke 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little 
is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in, in what is another's, who will give you what is your own? See, I've heard that verse my whole life. But do I apply it to my life? When I'm faithful with little, God makes me ruler over much. When I'm honest with a little bit, God knows that I'll be honest with more. And so we'll see later, too, how he tests our hearts to find integrity there. Do you want to be promoted? Do you want to be trusted? Do you want to be rewarded? See, trust takes a lifetime to build, but it can break in an instant. And how many of us have seen that? I've built trust my whole life with these certain people, and then all it takes is one instant, and that trust is broken. And then it takes time to build it up again. Be faithful in the little, so that God can make you ruler over much. So my favorite, well, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And the reason I love the story of Joseph is because Joseph was a man who was full of integrity. And some of us would say that Joseph's life was not too great. I mean, if you know the story of Joseph, he was thrown in a pit. His brothers hated him. His dad thought he died. He didn't see him for years and years and years. He was thrown in prison for something he didn't do. I mean, he really didn't appear that he had that great of a life. But I'm going to walk you through his story and show you how God was faithful to him because of his integrity. So I told you to turn to Luke, I mean, Genesis 39. And we're going to start in verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read this one out of the NLT version. So Genesis 39, 4 and 5. Now what's happening here is that right before this, it says that God was faithful to Joseph. Okay? So this pleased Potiphar. It pleased him that the Lord was faithful to him. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All of his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. And the Bible says, it's very specific, that the reason Potiphar was blessed was because of Joseph and because Joseph obeyed God. See, Potiphar actually purchased Joseph. He purchased him as a slave. What ha- he, was, he was passing through this land, and Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. So Potiphar didn't know who this guy was. All Potiphar knew was he paid a few, what, I don't know how much he cost, but he paid money for him and bought him as a slave. But because of Joseph, Joseph's integrity, and because Potiphar could clearly see that God was with Joseph, not only was Joseph blessed, but so was Potiphar. But then Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife, Uh, thought Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And so she kept telling him, Joseph, come to bed with me when Potiphar wasn't home. And Joseph continually said, no, I will not dishonor my master. See, his master wasn't home. Potiphar wasn't home. Potiphar probably would have never known. But Joseph said, I'm going to be full of integrity. I'm going to honor God, and I'm going to honor Potiphar. And so he continued to tell her, no, no. Well, one day, she grabbed his cloak, and she said, come to bed with me, And he ran. The Bible says he fled or he ran away. He didn't want to even be seen in the same place where something could get misconstrued. He didn't want his integrity to to be damaged. And so he fled, but she had his coat in her hands, and so she lied about it and said that Joseph had come after her. 
And so Potiphar gets angry, and he has Joseph thrown in prison wrongfully. But let's look at what else happens. Still in Genesis 39, now we're in chapter, or verse 20. So he took Joseph and threw him in prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So I'm thinking about this the other day. I was reading it, and I've never thought about this before. But in order to be in charge of all the other prisoners, and in order for the warden not to have to worry about anything because Joseph took care of everything, do you think he could have stayed in his cell? Probably not. I really believe that Joseph had freedom to move around the prison. He was so full of integrity that though he was wrongfully put in prison, he could be trusted not to take his own freedom. And God continued to bless him. God continued to honor him. And the people that were in proximity to him were blessed as well. So those of us that know the story know that Pharaoh has two dreams. And Pharaoh's the king of the land. And in these two dreams, they concern Pharaoh. They concern him because of um, what he had seen in his dreams. And Pharaoh tried to get his wise men to interpret these dreams. But none of the wise men could interpret them. Well, this cupbearer remembers. He says, Pharaoh, there was a guy back in prison, and he told me the meaning of my dream. And it was right. He was, he was correct. And so Pharaoh sent for him, and he says, can you interpret my dreams? And Joseph says, no, but God can interpret your dreams. And so Joseph tells Pharaoh, your dreams mean that there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so he starts to tell Pharaoh, you need to get ready during the seven years of famine because, or the seven years of plenty, so that you have enough during the seven years of famine. And here's what um, Pharaoh says to Joseph. We're going to be in chapter 41 now, just two chapters over to the right. Genesis 41 and verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dream to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. He went from being sold as a slave to the chief attendant in Potiphar's house to prison. And now he's the second in command over all of the land of Egypt. And I truly believe that all of the blessings of God in his life came from his integrity, from his honesty, and from his obedience to God. So God rewards integrity. I want you to turn to Proverbs 6. I told you lots of the word today. And as you're turning to Proverbs 6, Proverbs 11.1 1 says, The Lord detests, there's that word again, He detests the use of dishonest scales, but accurate weights, or he delights in accurate weights. So what is a dishonest scale? Well, think of this. If you go to the gas pump and you stick the nozzle in your car and you pull the trigger and you swipe your card, um, you don't really see how much gas is going into your car, right? So what if it was only putting in three-fourths of a gallon every time the little meter said it was putting a, a gallon in? So you're paying for a gallon of gas, but you're only getting three-fourths of a gallon. 
Or what about, you know, some of you ladies that purchase fabric at the fabric store? They have the yardstick on the counter there so they can measure how much you're buying. Well, what if their yardstick was only two and a half feet long? And every time you're paying for a yard of fabric, you're only getting two and a half feet of fabric. In biblical times, that's basically what this is talking about. Uh, That stuff probably won't happen. But what about your time at work? See, like I talked about earlier, I was... I had a dishonest scale with my boss. I told him I was working from 8 to 5 when really I was working from 9 to 5. And that was dishonest. So Proverbs chapter 6. We've seen that God rewards integrity. But look at this. We're going to be in Proverbs six sixteen. It says, There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven there are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This scares me a little bit. Seven things that are an abomination to the Lord, and if you notice, two out of the seven are lying. And if you look at the other things that lying is grouped with, it's even more alarming. Hands that shed innocent blood, showing discord among the brothers, haughty eyes. But again, he gave two spots of the things that he hates, the lying. Not only that, but God gave Moses and the people of Israel ten commandments. And number nine is thou shalt not be a false witness or bear false witness. Basically, thou shalt not lie. He used one of the Ten Commandments to tell us not to lie. So integrity or dishonesty, choose one. Second, our second choice tonight. Truth is from God. Lies are from Satan. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 5. And I want you to put a place marker there at Acts 5. And then turn to Colossians 3. While you're turning there, Hebrews 6.18. I'm going to read it in the Amplified Version because it sheds a little bit more light on the meaning of the Scripture. Hebrews 6.18 says, So that by two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath, talking about God, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to him for refuge would have strong encouragement and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. A couple things jump out at me there. One, not only does God not lie, but it says it's literally impossible for God to lie. He is truth. He cannot lie. But also, it says these two unchangeable things, his promise and his oath. When he makes a promise or when he makes an oath, he keeps it 100% of the time. It cannot change. It never will change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So look at Colossians 3. And we're going to be in verses 9 and 10. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being, not has been, but is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, God cannot lie. God will not break his promise. He will not break his oath. They're unchangeable. 
And if you remember in Genesis, it says, we were created in the image of God. So if we're created in the image of God, then why do we lie? And it says so clearly, do not lie to one another. And the thing about this scripture is it says, put off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed. Now putting on is always a choice. You chose what clothes to put on today. You chose what shoes to put on. You chose everything that's on you. You chose to put it on. But putting off is also a choice. So put off the old self. Put on the new self. We were created in the image of God. God cannot lie. God never breaks his word. He never breaks his promise. So why do we? Look at John 8.44. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. I was reading this the other day in preparation for my message. And I, I was by myself in my dining room, and I really did sit there and went like this. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm sure I've read it before, but never realized what this says. So John eight forty four, For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. I read that and I say, how can I, how can we, how can any of us continue to consciously lie after you read that? I mean, this puts the, uh, the fear of God within me. So you're telling me that when I lie, I'm literally speaking the language of Satan? When I lie, I am speaking in line with his character? Not in line with God's. See, everything that we do is a choice. So I can choose to be honest and full of integrity like God is. Or I can choose to be full of lies and dishonesty like Satan is. Let's look at uh, Acts 5. In verse 3. So what's happening here is that a man named Ananias sold his property... And he's bringing the money to the church, essentially. And when he gets there, he says, here is all of the money that I made when I sold my property. But that wasn't true. Ananias had sold the property for a certain amount of money, kept some for himself, and he gave the rest to the church. Which wasn't the issue. The issue was that he told them that he gave all of it. So Acts chapter 5, verse 3. It says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You see it again there. In order to lie, Satan had to fill his heart. Verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. In the Old Testament, God strikes people dead several times. It happens a lot. But in the New Testament, it happens one time. And that's right here. This is the only place besides his wife, who was also struck down in just a little bit because of the same sin, 
the only place that God strikes someone dead in the New Testament. And it's because he lied. So truth or lies? Choose one. The last thing about integrity tonight is that we're going to leave a legacy. So our choice is to leave a legacy of integrity or to leave a legacy of iniquity. And I want you guys to turn to Genesis 20. Leave a marker there. And then turn to Titus chapter 2. So a legacy. A legacy is something that we pass down. A legacy is inherited by our children and their children and their children. A legacy is what stays around after we're gone. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opportunity may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Not an opportunity, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Some interesting things there. He's told to urge young believers to be self-controlled. To urge someone would be to encourage them, to teach them to be self-controlled. But that's not what it says about integrity. It says to show integrity. See, I really believe that integrity cannot be taught. I believe that the only way for someone to inherit integrity is, one, for the Holy Spirit to do something in their lives, but, two, for it to be modeled by someone else. So I told you a little bit about my dad earlier. He's over here. <laughs> my dad is, has the most integrity of any man I've ever met in my entire life. I've been on the earth for 29 and a half-ish years. And he has never one time ever lied to me. And you may say, yeah, right, Pastor Evan. I mean, you may think he hasn't. I believe with all my heart that he has never lied to me. But you know what? It's a choice that he made. Um, my dad was not given a legacy of integrity. My dad was given a legacy of iniquity. His mother lied all the time. She lied about everything. Uh, I heard an example that he was talking about the other day. She would say, um, Warren, there's no cookies, so you can't have any because there are none. And he would see cookies in the cookie jar. And he said she just didn't want to tell him that he couldn't have the cookies. And so he realized that, one, he didn't like being lied to and didn't want to do that to somebody else. But two, when he was a teenager, he heard a sermon about generational iniquities and how an iniquity is a leaning towards a certain sin that's passed down from your family. And pastor's been talking about generational curses and generational blessings on Sundays. So the message that he heard was very similar to that. And he made a decision that though he was given a generational iniquity through the power of Christ, through the blood of Jesus, he was going to turn that iniquity around and he was going to turn it into a generational blessing. And he was going to leave us, his children, a legacy of integrity. And so in everything that he does, my father is full of integrity. And I look up to him more than I look up to any other man on this planet. But you know what? I, I realized that even though I was given a legacy of integrity... 
that I still have a choice. And if you were given a legacy of iniquity, you have a choice. We all have to choose. Am I going to pass down a legacy of integrity or am I going to pass down a legacy of iniquity? I want to show you one more passage before we close out tonight. And it's in Genesis chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 1. So this is the story of Abraham. Genesis 20, chapter 1. From there, Abraham journeyed towards the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, um, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. See, Abraham was a great man of God. And I'm in no way trying to demean that. But in this situation, Abraham lied out of fear. He was afraid that the Philistines and Gerar would kill him to get Sarah and so that they could take her. And so he lied and he said, oh, no, she's not my wife, she's my sister, so y'all can take her if you want to, just don't kill me. Um, but he almost caused death to this man that didn't deserve it. But because of Abimelech's integrity, the Lord upheld him. Now look in Genesis 26 few pages over, and we're going to be in verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Notice a couple of things. One, Isaac is Abraham's son. Two, he's settling in Gerar, which is the place where his father had also settled. They didn't live there full time. This is two separate times that they went to Gerar. By this time, Abraham is dead. Verse 7, when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, same king, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And some translations say he saw her, him caressing his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? He's probably like, oh great, here we go again. Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. See, Isaac was Abraham's son. And in this regard, Abraham didn't model integrity. He modeled dishonesty. And his son followed in his footsteps. Isaac sinned in the exact same way with the exact same people in the exact same town. That's what he saw modeled. So what about us? We're either going to leave a legacy of integrity or we're going to leave a legacy of iniquity. Choose one. 
See, with all of these areas, God rewards integrity, but he detests dishonesty. We have to make a choice. We can't be full of integrity and dishonest. The truth is from God. God cannot lie. And lies are from Satan. He's the father of lies. We can't speak both out of our mouth, truth and lies. We have to choose one. And we are going to leave a legacy. And it's our choice whether to leave a legacy of integrity or a legacy of iniquity. So I challenge you guys. God's calling us to higher places. So let's come up to where he's calling us to be. He's calling us to be full of integrity, to speak the truth, and to leave a legacy of integrity. That's what he wants us to be, and we've seen in his word. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.